You know, I want people to, and young kids to just experiment and try things. Go work in a kitchen, go work at Chipotle. Do you like working in food? Yes or no? No, it's okay. Try the next thing. You know, it's really experimenting in real life and getting over failure. That doesn't mean you're a failure. Mm -hmm. It just means you don't like it. Like, let's stop adding so much weight to this F word. Okay, here we go. This is The Living Numbers Podcast, where everyone is interesting, if you ask the right questions. I am your host, Tony Rambles, and I'm going to ask you to do, is this three things or four things? I don't know. I'll just keep counting. Number one, share, rate, review, five stars. Number two, Subscribe on Apple and Spotify to get the behind the scenes. Me and Robin basically just had a 20-minute conversation before the episode even started. But you have to subscribe for that. Follow me on IG and TikTok at The Living Numbers Podcast. And number four, merch link in the description. Hoodies, t-shirts, y'all know what time it is. Whenever we have someone on for the first time, you all know they have to get a wonderful intro. So, hailing from, I think, Los Angeles, California. She's been all over that state, and we'll definitely talk about that. She believes in the intersection of people, process, and technology being the basis of all that she does. And that was definitely the sticking point for me. When I saw that, I'm like, okay, yeah, got to have her on. Lifelong volunteer, self-proclaimed hustler, dog mom, and ice cream lover. I present the Robin Rodriguez. Say hello to the people. Hey, people. Party people. <laughs> yes. So glad to have you on. And um, I guess we got to kick it off with our first number here. So the 1960s birth the civil rights movement and something that Robin is um, very astute at, and that is going to be DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I don't think it is um, a surprise to know that her background, her heritage rather, Cuban, Mexican, and American. So that's where I want to start because I would guess that your your heritage played a role in kind of maybe you going down this field. Now, that's a guess. I could be totally off base. What do you think? It's a good guess. It's totally off base, but that's okay. <laughs> I think <laughs> that um, when I started in this field, we didn't have DEI. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have those initiatives, right? We just... Um, They just hired people they thought were right for the job, or they just hired people because they needed a person. Um, Mm -hmm. What really happened for me as I started in payroll, speaking of numbers, I do love numbers, but not enough to sit in a dark room and be an accountant. And then as I grew in my payroll career, I was still really young. I was about 30 years old and I was a VP and I'm like, what what am I going to do next? Um, So that's when I really discovered, okay, it's people process technology and then segued into HR um, and technology. And I'm a great problem solver. So putting that all together and we'll get into that, I'm sure later, but um, yes, for DEIB, it is my culture, but it is also just um, my love to learn about different people, different cultures. And really I can have fun with anybody at any age, at any party, um, you know? Mm. And so um, I feel like that's a skill that I can use to really help drive DEIB initiatives home. So those are really something that sits close to me. Have you always been that way? Like as a kid, were you the person that was always trying to have uh, have friends over or was the, the leader of the friend group? Have you always been kind of like this 
galvanizing, that's a word I love to use, but this galvanizing force amongst people? I think force is the right word. So mm. I do have a Cuban father. <laughs> and that, you know, is some of that's behavioral. I'm also the youngest of five kids. So, you know, oh, wow. um, you've got to fight for your voice, I think. Um, and we talked a little bit before we started the podcast about having that really strong, forceful, masculine energy and just had to have a lot of that in a in a room of, of just very strong personalities on both mm -hmm. sides of the family. So yes, I do also feel like I was born with it. Um, you, you know, I, I just, there's pictures on my Instagram and on my LinkedIn about, you know, I'm wearing a suit when I'm two years old. Like it's just, it's, it was definitely in wow. the blood. How many brothers, how many sisters? So I have two older sisters and two older brothers. So three girls and two boys in total. And we're all um, step half, all of that. So lots of different family dynamics. And again, mm -hmm. just, you know, if you want to be heard, you've got to make a lot of noise in that family. <laughs> <laughs> Same. So I'm one of 14, no, 15. I'm sorry. Wow. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes my kids are like, they don't believe me. So they want me to name names. Uh, but I'm like around number eight or nine. So I'm in the middle. But there, yeah, I just kind of remember times where, you know, you got to make sure you get yours, right? And that sometimes comes with some elbows, some head locks, maybe a little bit of That's yelling. Right. So have you ever, I'm not going to say have you ever, what's the time where you actually had to like step to one of your older siblings? Oh God, I was so bossy when I was little. I used to be like, and this is terrible. I shouldn't be saying this if we have kids listening, but um, my parents were kind of strict and they wouldn't let my older brothers and sisters go out. And mm. so I'd be like, if you want to sneak out, you have to take me with you or you have to give oh, me $10. Man. Like I would run game and they would be like, fine, whatever. <laughs> Here's your 10 bucks. Get out of here. Yeah, here's your 10 bucks or yeah, let's go. And um, one time my sister took me with her to a party and the neighbors had just had a kid. And so the neighbors were up with the kid late at night Ugh. and called my dad and told him that we were sneaking out. And we just don't even need to finish that story. I just want to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably, I am going to be 44 and I am probably still grounded. Okay. <laughs> like, wow. From that incident. Like we were grounded all the time. <laughs> it sounds like y'all are really close. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, we go through different, you know, it's contractions and mm -hmm, expansions, mm -hmm. right. We go through different times where we're close or where we're not. Again, we have the family dynamics that come into play. And so um, then a lot of them have had kids in their family. So, you know, that expands and, and takes time away. Um, but yes, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always a good time at the Rodriguez house. You may or may not be able to answer this question. Do you have a favorite? Ooh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, I can get along with other people. There's a big, age gap for a lot of us. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that recently, I don't know if it's my favorite, but my best example recently is my brother who is mm -hmm. about, he's going to be 50, I think. And he's just now starting to use his voice and say no and set boundaries. And so seeing him through that growth is really like, I'm just really proud of him. It also mm -hmm. helps me sometimes. And so I'm just really proud that we can come together as we get older. You know, I think him and I fought the most. And so him and I coming together or being on the same page or just building that respect adult to adult, I think has been a really good experience for me in the last couple of years. It's so different when you become adults, because especially when you start to go through some of the same experiences. So my sister graduated from college. She graduated before me. I'm two years older than her. 
Well, she def. I think she graduated with her bachelor's before I did because I didn't go right to high, uh, right, right to college. Yeah. And so we both kind of eventually had degrees, and then she got married, and now she just had her first after uh, I had we had ours, my wife and I, nineteen months ago. So yeah. like these similar kind of life paths have definitely made us a little bit closer. And uh, as her and her fiance had gotten close to getting married. I think they've been married for maybe two years now. I think it was 2020. So they may be going on three, but we have like a lot of these similarities. So we have definitely grown grown closer. But when we were kids, I feel like I didn't even talk to my sister that much. Like, I don't even remember. She was always busy with dance and track. Like she was super into, uh, you know, her extracurricular activities. Uh, I played football. And then I also had a job. So we both were like these living these super busy lives. We lived in the same house, but I don't even remember us like actually having that many conversations. So that brings me to like this other point where even though you have siblings, it's still the similar interests in different parts of our lives that really bring us together other than like family gatherings. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or sometimes it's just the recognizing like what that other person is good at. You know, I don't think we ever take a step back and say like, oh man, I remember my sister used to kill it at this or, or that, Mm. or whatever, you know, and there's like definitely things Byron's good at. That's my brother. And then things that I'm good at. And now I think we just recognize that those are not the same things. And if we, if we, operate as a team, like we can get a lot more done. Man, family is, family is something else. They can really run you up the wall and they can also kind of bring you down off of the, off the high horse sometimes. And then off the, you know, whatever you about to go and do, they can like, Hey, you know, let's take a step back here. (laughs) Let's relax. The voice of reason. Who's that in the family? Well, it's me. I don't know that I'm the voice of reason. I am reasonable. And when we talk (laughs) about leadership, I feel like I'm firm but fair. And so Mm. I I don't think um, people want it to be me, but somehow, and I don't even know how I'm this person now. I've lots of therapy, I guess, um, that I'm just like, hold on. Everybody stop screaming in this Cuban household and let's just have a real conversation, but, you know, I feel like so much of, um, the way we're raised maybe as minority children is there's so many assumptions and so many fear or holding us back or things like that. And it's like, well, I don't want to assume the worst. Let's just talk Mm. about really what can happen and what our options are. And I think it's, it's so dumb. It was like my first job at ADP and I worked there 20 years ago and I can still remember we had this stupid strategy we had to use when we answered the phones to talk with clients. But one of the strategies to diffuse people's anger was to give them options because then even if they didn't like the options, they made the choice of which one they wanted and Mm -hmm. it felt like it gave them some power. That was the strategy we used. And so that when we go back to people, options. I still use that strategy today. It's like, you might not like these options, but you got option A, option B, or option C. And then let's stop assuming, let's stop building these fake stories around all of these assumptions of what ifs. Yes. And let's talk about what if we try it and it works? What if we try it and it doesn't work? And let's just keep it real about the good, the bad, and the ugly again and then make our decision from there. That reminds me of like how I coach my team. I had this discussion with them. I said, ladies, we are not fast, okay? But we don't have to be. There are other ways to win games, okay? So we have to know who we are and we have to play that way, right? That's the the short version of that story. But knowing your strengths and weaknesses and where you can be your best is something that we all, as people, need to figure out. And sometimes you can work on your weaknesses 
and uh, you may gain some headway. And sometimes it's uh, it's a weakness that's just, uh, you know, I'm 5'8". It's, it's not getting past it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, it's so funny. I haven't thought about basketball in so long, but now I'm thinking about it and I'm just having, I could hear my dad in my head telling me like, slow it down, slow it down, set it up, set up the play. Like yeah. just running down and making a layout, a layup isn't the way that you're going to win the game. There has to be the strategy. And we see that in life where if you're just burning up and down the court, exhausting yourself because you can't stop and take a moment to think about the best move in that situation, you're, you're working harder, not smarter. Right. Mm -hmm. And the more we are put in those situations, the faster we can process and then make that best move more quickly. Right. Instead of having to take X amount of time, like going back to your experience with ADP, I'm sure like your first day on the phones was way different than even your second day or your second month or your second year, right? You get in or however long you were there, but the more you got that experience, you were able to go, okay, I know how to solve this. I know how to solve this. I know what to say in this situation. So this is a question that I want to ask. And I think it's really good because a lot of HR departments are having to figure this out is what do employees want besides more money? Because usually that's people's like, just pay me more, pay me what I'm worth, right? That's what we are always always talking about. But I think there's more to it than that. That's what you want. <laughs> and I Heck think yeah. that what we're, what we're learning is, what we're learning is, we're taking it back to the old school, Okay. Like these are not new concepts. What we're learning is a very basic thing that people are just not motivated by the same thing. Mm. And again, here we go in this world of HR, of old dinosaur HR, making all these (laughs) assumptions and directing what the people want when all you need to be doing is asking the people what they want and delivering on that. Oh yeah, that's good. You know? That's so good. And it's like, For me, it's just so, there are just like, I have some clients have these aha moments and I'm like, I just gave you the most basic answer. But when you're in the thick of the problem, and again, you're creating this story, you're not solving for problem, you're not problem solving right now. So sometimes, you know, I become the coach, I become the HR coach, like the people coach, like, let's take, let's just take a step back and like, you're getting real demanding, but what are we going to give to these people? And I'm not asking right. you to bend over backwards for them. I'm asking you to give them something that will make them feel good. And for me, I spend, I focus my time on female entrepreneurs, female tech mm-hmm. founders. And a lot of times, you know, their teams don't want a lot from them. They just want a different concession than they thought they wanted. And so I come in and have to be the bridge between that. Mm. You go, oh, that's all you wanted? Yeah, we can do that. It's like, yeah. Well, or we get really creative because they have small businesses and a lot of my companies don't have enough money to pay for their employees' mm-hmm. benefits, $700 a month or something. So I say like, let's just give them a wellness reimbursement. Like if they go to a yoga class, let's pay them back for that. Let's say, hey, 50 bucks, that's two yoga classes a month. If they want to get a massage, let's reimburse it and People love that because they just feel like it's a way for them to escape. And it's not a big, huge monetary investment for the employer, right? It's not a lot of money for them. It's a huge gesture. It's like a warm hug. But a lot of- They give a crap. Yeah, they give a crap. And in a different way than like like a boss would. I want you to take care of yourself because a lot of times with- maybe coaches, teachers, whatever, we get so personalized and we become another parent. When people aren't looking for more parents, they're looking for people to look up to. Hmm. You know, and that that looks different. We're not calling companies, it's not your baby. These are not your babies. These are not your kids, you know? And I don't mean that in a bad way, unpopular opinion. (laughs) No, that's on the list. I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean you know, your role in their life is to be something different than what mm-hmm. they already have or are missing, you know? You're so good, Robin. I just want to let you know that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. 
what are some signs that a company is serious about DEI and mm-hmm. is not? Because you talk about uh, serious, like you're actually serious about it. And I think in your bio, and I was like, oh, okay, let's 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 talk about that. So, what are some signs that you see whenever you go in and people have hired you uh, that you see that would sway them one way or another? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we have light years to go on this, to be honest. And and mm. you did say I was from Los Angeles. I am from Los Angeles. I currently live in Austin, Texas. And while Austin is a great bubble of Texas, it's still Texas. And, you know, I talk about this a lot that LA is just so integrated. I feel like DEI is just happens because everybody hangs out with everybody, right? Mm. And mm-hmm. when you come to Texas, there's two things for me. There's like segregation by choice a little bit. And um, I also feel that like in Chicago. And then um, the other thing I feel like is in the South, it's very black and white. So as a brown person, I feel like, what about us? And I can only imagine the Asians are like, hey, we're over here. And the Indians are like, hey, we're here. And it's so confusing to me, like, hi, don't forget about we're us. We're in the back. We're in the back. <laughs> we're, right. But with Austin being such a big tech hub, there's mm-hmm. so many Indian people that work in the in these corporate companies. There's so many programmers or like offshore global teams. And like, I don't know that these HR teams or these company leaders even acknowledge that, Mm. you know? And so it's so, so interesting and saying like, what are people doing good? I would say if I went to, I don't want to hear it from the company. I want to hear it from like this Indian programmer telling me that they feel good about where they work and they like their company and really be able, and that needs to happen in a safe space where they can say that they don't. Right. I don't want to go on. Google careers or IBM careers, and you guys have an actor with a picture of some diverse person saying how much they love working here. Like organically in this conversation, I want to hear you like working here. And so with what companies aren't doing well, and we've seen with all of these massive tech layoffs, we've seen that a lot of the DEIB teams are getting laid off. So any mm-hmm. progress we've made to help drive initiatives forward, you just laid off that team and everything's at a full halt. Like, did did diverse people stop applying to your company? I'm I'm kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, um, but on the flip side, in coming to Austin, you know, and I get involved in you know the tech ecosystem here and. I did a program with Black Girl Ventures last year, and it is a small enough town still that there are just a lot of white allies and white men with money that will write checks for brown and black people. And it's just so awesome to see in the community. And it's so great to see that shift. Um, I had a question, but I think I forgot it. Okay. How'd you get into payroll? You got to ADP how? Yeah, so self-proclaimed hustler here. I was working mm-hmm. at a garage door company and that job ended at three o'clock. So what I would do is I was kind of like the route manager. I would make sure the guys got their garage doors, got on their tra- trucks, knew where they were going. They finished their routes for the day. By three, we all went home. And I was like, well, it's three o'clock and I am motivated by money like you, Tony. Probably something that we learn to like when there's a lot of kids, right? Like money. I want to buy new clothes. I don't want them hand-me-down clothes. I want my own (laughs) new clothes. So, you know, like, let me find ways to do this. So I started working moonlighting at a restaurant, at an Italian Mm -hmm. restaurant. And so... Um, the bartender's girlfriend came in one day, she sat at the bar and she goes, what are you guys doing? Like with your life's like, can't be a waitress your whole life. And, you know, I 22 year old Robin at that time, I think, I, I think actually I was 2021 20, and I went, 
hold up, girlfriend. This is not my day job. This is my second job. Mm. And she said, well, what's your day job? And then she said, hey, we're hiring right now at my company and we'll pay you more money and there's a lot more room for growth. You should come apply. And that was ADP. And that was actually, that was, that was actually also Amanda. So shout out to Amanda for, I still talk to Amanda today, you know, 23 years later, but, um, just to give you context, I don't have, I did not go to college. I don't have a college degree. Um, and I think ADP was a great opportunity. It was something I fell into and something I was good at. Sometimes that's all you need. And you can grow from there as we see. Uh, you're yeah. now, you have your own HR company at this point, right? So that's going to take us to our next number where I want you to kind of expand on, on how that came to be. And that number is 1901. Okay, little story time here. The National Cash Register Company, known today as NCR Corporation, that's neither here nor there. It is basically the spiritual HR predecessor uh, because they basically created a, a department to manage wages, uh, worker safety, and employee concerns. So Miss Her HR Help Desk, wonderful CEO, founder. Okay, when did you go, okay, I think I have a business here with this HR stuff and trying to get people to figure that out. When did that idea come to mind? This idea was just, if I go out on my own, I can do it my way and I could do it better. Because mm. I feel like a lot of HR departments are still stuck in 1901, if we want to talk about the numbers. <laughs> and, you know, my secret sauce is that people process and technology. You hear it more every day. We talk about digital transformations and I'm like, hey, you guys are stealing my material. But to be honest, I've been saying that for 12 years and you're saying that today, right? Um, so I don't really think that large companies have learned how to integrate the three together. Um, I don't know how mm -hmm. they've learned how to make them work in unison. And so I thought, look, I don't want limiting people, limiting thoughts, limiting billable hours. I don't want to continue to make fifty, a hundred thousand dollar, I call them coasters, right? Of all my hard work that would go into how we can improve things in your company. And that would never make it past somebody's ego. And so we'd never implement right. those changes. So for me, it was like, look, let me step out and start an HR company. Now that HR company was my HR help desk. And it was an HR concept that I feel like is so forward thinking, but not that I had no traction and didn't do that. So then here we go that I stumbled upon women coming and asking me questions and looking for support and saying, Hey, I don't feel like you're demeaning me. Like I, you're not talking down to me. Like I didn't realize HR was like this. Oh, I didn't even know HR people help with things like how you talk to your manager. And yeah. they're like, that's all we do. So I have now slowly, you know, in April, it all came together for me last April. And it became her HR help desk because I felt like women needed the support and they wanted the support from women. And I do help men. I have male clients and those male clients typically come to me with, associating HR as the feminine touch, right? Like, I want to take care of my people. I don't know how. I want to, I have a woman that works for me. Her and I have a hard time communicating. Can you come be the bridge? Can you guide her? Can you mentor her? Like, can we bring you in and just you inspire her because I, she doesn't respond well to me. Mm. I hear that. And I just think, okay. Um, like if, if, so you're just not going to have any women because you don't know how to work with them. Like you, you just have to get better. Like you have to figure out that's a part of being a leader is you have to find a way to connect with whoever is in charge, whoever you have in charge so that you can get the most out of them so that then they can get the most out of the next layer down and the next layer down. So, I mean, you know, they may have solved a problem short term, I would think. 
but you know you you have to be better at being the lead you know so what would you say today i would say there's a lot of tech bros <laughs> there's mm. there's a lot of people that find comfort in people that look and think like them because they're not ever being challenged mm. and so I completely agree with you. And that's also a DEI initiative. You know, a DEI initiative isn't always about somebody's race. It could be about gender. It could be, let's add the new letter at the end of that, which is B, which is belonging, making people like they feel like they belong, creating opportunities for people with diverse thoughts to grow in an organization. And corporate America really stifles that. And yes, there are a few companies that are fashion forward and do things the right way. And if they're making an effort for me, that's the right way, a real true effort. However, there's, that's just such a small percentage of companies that exist. Mm. Like when I go into market and I look at those jobs of people operations leaders that our company really cares about our people, that job in today's market is probably going to have 300 applicants because everybody wants to work there because the rest of us are at a soul sucking job somewhere else. You know, fighting the machine, we're, we're fighting the machine, fighting the patriarchy, you know, and that's just gets old and it, you get tired always mm. fighting for noticing the high performers, you know, picking developing future leaders and things that in a teaching right. world probably come natural to you is something that just doesn't even exist in corporate. Right. Those spaces and opportunities are not always there. That makes me think of the NFL where they have, uh, they're like, oh, well, we don't have enough black head coaches or minority head coaches. And they go, well, that's like the, the symptom. Right. The cause is something much deeper where you don't even have these guys getting an opportunity to get into the positions that get looked at for head coaches. Right. It's way down the line. Right. We're just seeing like the end result, whereas this stuff starts a few rows, few rungs down the ladder. That's definitely what what stood out there for me. Um, what's been the hardest part of having your company? Mm -hmm. So before we move on, I want to respond to that because I did work in entertainment right. and I do did work. We had a sports division and a sports uh, agency. And you're saying we see the end. We see the end of NFL players when they leave the NFL. But by no means is that the end of their life. But that becomes the end of their life cycle. And they still have a lot of years to live and a lot of things to pay for. Mm -hmm. So. Of course, using my payroll brain and my entertainment brain, I would say that we all look at them and we go like, $8 million contract. I would love that $8 million contract. Yes, that's true, but everybody gets a piece of that pie. We are not training those NFL players that are coming right out of college that have, have grown up, you know, not privileged majority of them. Some of them have, and they don't know how to spend money and they have managers that take advantage of them or take a bigger cut than they should be or are stealing money from them. You know, so that $8 million that we see net bottom line is maybe 1.5 in their pocket and they have mm. how many years to play in the NFL, right? So what happens next? So I had a very close relationship with a sports agent that was invested in finding these guys that were graduating that are getting plucked out and then following them through and being their agent with them through their entire life cycle. And that means mm. helping them also while they're in the NFL when he did NBA, so NBA to find skills that they can take to that next level because it's not like, oh, everybody leaves the NBA and then what do they do? You know, like they leave the NFL. What do yeah. they do? What skills have they built? If they were just a hundred percent of a baller and they never really went to school and they just went straight in and did the bare minimum, they don't have any skills other than playing basketball. And uh, yeah, once your playing days are over, your playing days are over, right? You have That's to right. 
find the next thing to do. Um, man. You know, you, and that's to me at, is, that, that to me yeah, is a social responsibility. That to me is a social responsibility on the NFL. I feel like the team's HR teams should have leadership and development, should be invested in finding programs um, to, that, you know, can help build lifelong careers post-playership. How would they be able to to do that, right? If they called you and say, hey, we need some help with these things to get these guys more uh, set up for life after football or basketball, whatever sport they play, what would you advise? I mean, I would give them a lot of personality tests, right? I want to know outside of being the player that you are, what motivates you, what drives you, what interests you. You know, do you like real estate? You know, do you like cars? Do you like, where can we focus, take what you think is a hobby because everything is football or basketball and really start to build a career around that? You know, um, a lot of guys don't want to be new sportscasters, right? But for us, it's always like our dream job. Like, I'd love to be down on the field when somebody wins the championship, you know? It's like, it's such a crazy burst of energy to do that. Um, I actually did that for the Raiders one time. So that's a different story. But, you know, I need that story. (laughs) That's just like such a good job. Um, But, you know, not everybody wants to be an extrovert and be out there. And, and, you know, I don't even know that other than basketball or football, what is life for them other than that? There has to be something at the end. So I think a lot of that to me looks more like executive coaching and testing their personalities and helping them find what what they could build into post-career. How much experience do you feel like someone needs to have in order to kind of figure that out, right? Because, and I'm thinking about this from the context of high school kids. People are basically saying they need to have their life figured out when they're 18 and graduate in high school. And I just think that's very hard to do, number one. And number two, a lot of people don't really know what they are passionate about. At least that's what I see in, in the kids now. And I didn't either, you know, out of, outside of football, it was like, oh man, uh, I like music, I guess. I like to listen to music, you know, so it's very hard to, how would somebody figure that out, you know, and how long do you think that would take? I feel like we need to allow ourselves to let that be a lifelong process. Mm. Because the reason why I say that is because for me, like a lot of that, you need to have your life figured out by your 18. That's just like so much pressure from society. It's such a also like, that's your parents talking from the safe of, from the sense of wanting you to build safety and security, Yep. which I understand. However, (laughs) you know, um, I want people that if they don't have the opportunity to go to school or they don't. You know, I want people to and young kids to just experiment and try things. Go work in a kitchen, go work at Chipotle. Do you like working in food? Yes or no? No, it's okay. Try the next thing. You know, it's really experimenting in real life and getting over failure. That doesn't mean you're a failure. Mm -hmm. It just means you don't like it. Like, let's stop adding so much weight to this F word, you know, because. You know, I joke with people all the time that if I was born in today's society, I'd probably be a millionaire by the time I was 14. (laughs) But I grew up with so much, this is what you got to do, and this is what you got to do, and what you got to do, and there's benefits in that. It has helped me. Um, I bought my first house when I was 22, 23 years old, and I've always had Mm -hmm. a house. And there's a benefit in that. There's safety. There's security there. Absolutely things that I didn't have as a child that I love now. But there's also some cons to that. I never traveled. I didn't get out and explore. So guess what? I hustled, hustled, hustled. You know, I turned 40 and I'm like, what now? Mm. Because this doesn't feel good anymore. I don't want to keep fighting. I can't fight for everybody. I was working at a company with 15,000 employees like I was fighting for 14,999 people, but I wasn't fighting for me. I was getting mm. left behind. And so 
what am I going to do to change that? Well, I had an opportunity to sell my house, downsize and come to Austin to change my life. And that's at 40. So, you know, the expectation to have you figure it out when you're 18? No. And the expectation for us to have it figured out when we're 40, hate to break it to you, baby kids, it ain't happening either because it's okay. You can change and your priorities can shift. You know, you might love basketball, but you just had a baby. Now you got to figure out, I love you too. Do I love one Uh-oh. more than the other? Can you answer that Sounds question? Like foreshadowing. foreshadowing here. <laughs> but you know, I mean... You've got to learn how to rebalance life. And I'm just so sick of all this guilt coming on to people for that. Mm. I want I, people I, to thrive at what they want to do. You want to be a mom? Have your baby be a mom. Why are we calling this mom and being like, are you coming back to work? Are you not? We need to know immediately. You know, it's like, give the get, let her figure it out. Mm. Do you know? And it's such a personalized experience. And I don't want kids to ever feel bad about being able to have that experience. You can figure it out. And when you think you have it figured out, something might happen and it might rock your world and you might have to refigure Mm. it out again. Absolutely. Yes. I tell my kids, I'm like, hey, let's have a plan A. Let's just have a plan A, though. Let's work plan A into the ground as much as we can, as much as we love it, as much as we see uh, a future for it. But if things happen and you want to change course, change plan A. We need a new plan A, right? I always, I, I just don't feel like if you got plan A, B, and C, you're trying to work all of them, you can't really give your full attention and effort to any of them. So they're all bound to fail. But if I got one plan A, I give plan A all that I have. And then I go, you know what? Plan A sucks now. Let's change plan A to the new plan A. (laughs) Two version 2.0. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I look at my life in decades and I do it in these iterations. So it's like, you know, 25-year-old Robin, she was a bull in a china shop, right? So I go back to her. That's my Tim Grover, the Mamba mentality. Like, it's like, you don't want... You want 25-year-old Robin to show up at the party, but you don't want to get 25-year-old Robin mad, all right? Like, she's a lot of fun until she isn't. (laughs) But now I do this. Yeah, and now I'm like in Robin 4.0, right? Like, I'm in my 40s. What is this going to look like? Like, what is Mm. the framework around that? And I think it's great to have a plan A, but it's also great to be flexible in the plan. You know, and I think we used to be so hard about these are the things I want to accomplish. And if you didn't do something, we never viewed it as an opportunity to push us to something else or different. Like you just have to also allow space to be flexible in the plan and allow space for the magic to happen. I love it. I love it. So speaking of magic and being flexible, okay, (laughs) we're going to move here. Uh oh. We're going to move to our next number, and I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this. So here we go. Another fun fact. Keep Austin weird is the slogan adopted by Austin's Independent Business Alliance to promote small businesses in Austin. The number comes in where uh, this guy, his name was Red, I don't know how to say this, Wassenish. We'll go with that. In the year 2000, he made that statement on on a radio station and Keep Austin Weird has kind of been the slogan ever since, right? Bumper stickers, T-shirts, the whole tie-dye ideal. So tell us how you got to Austin because it's literally right down the street from me. Yeah. Where are you at? Houston. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're close. Although people in Houston, you know, always say the food is better than Austin. And people in Austin always say like, oh, he's, Austin's better than Houston. So I don't it's know. a rivalry. My, it's a rivalry. It, uh, I, re- I like, I mean, everybody likes Austin. We liked Austin when we went, my wife and I, years back. And we've been maybe like just a handful of times, maybe like 
twice, but both times it was great. So uh, maybe we'll take a trip to Austin this summer. Yeah. And I didn't realize when I moved to Texas that Houston is the fourth largest city in the United States and one of the most diverse cities. I didn't know that. So um, mm -hmm. I need to go and spend some more time in Houston. Come so, on now. Yeah. So going back to my entertainment life, um, I had a really good friend that was an entertainment attorney. She quit her job and moved to Portland to open up a fitness business, open up a gym for high performing athletes. Mm. And in Portland, they say, keep Portland weird. And they've got the tie dye shirts and they've got all of this. So I come to Austin and I said, keep Austin weird. I thought it was keep Portland weird. And then I learned about that fun fact to expand on that, that because a lot of the hippie lifestyle was here and then also in Portland, that it did start in Austin and then it kind of segued over to Portland and now it's a slogan in both cities. Hmm. Okay. And both cities have a real similar vibe. So how do we keep Austin weird? <laughs> Was that the question? I, I've got banana wallpaper. I mean, I'm doing my part. <laughs> I was actually going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah. so, how'd you get to so, Austin from LA? Oh, how'd I get to Austin from LA? So yeah, we went to Portland, but I came here on a fluke for my 40th birthday. We were flying to New Orleans. Hmm. There was a huge storm in New Orleans. And basically they said, you've got to make a decision we can fly you to Austin. That's the furthest you can go. And I told my girlfriends, we can go to Austin or we can cancel our flights and we can drive to Mexico and do wine tasting in Mexico. And they said, let's go to Austin. And we came to Austin and we had this, Austin is a vortex of magic. And there is just something magical about this city when you come here. Um, it's a vibe. I think Matthew McConaughey says it all the time. You can't explain it. And it's true. There's something you just can't explain about the city. Um, and I felt that. And on our last day, my girlfriend said, you know what? You haven't moved out of LA, born and raised there. And I could really see you living here. And I think this is your city. And I said, I think it is too. Now, if we talk about plan A, nobody was in that. That was never in any plan A. But... I, I, I was flexible. I left room for the magic to happen. I flew back and I bought a house and it took, it was going to take a year for the house to be built. So it was very like low commitment for me. I put a small deposit on the house and worst case, I lost the deposit, but I had a year to figure out if I wanted to keep the house or not. Mm -hmm. So it just felt right. I don't know what it was. It just felt right. And from that moment forward, I had a woman reach out to me and she said, I have an HR software. I'd love for you to give me feedback. And I said, great. Oh my God, you're in Austin. She goes, yeah, I'm in Austin. Are you coming here? I said, I think I'm thinking about moving here. And she said, well, you should really come to this women in tech conference here. Any woman who's anybody in Austin is going to be at this conference. I will sponsor you. I'll introduce you to everybody. Wow. And I thought, I just put money down on this house, Tony. Like, I don't have money to keep flying back and forth. What's happening? And I said, how much is this conference going to be? Thousands of dollars to meet the tech women, female leaders in Austin. It was zero dollars. I just wow. needed to buy my flight to get back out here. She's still one of my mentors today. Man. So, you know, and that's how I really got connected. And just things like this have just happened. I met one of my neighbors here in Austin and she happened to be the president of the Young Women's Alliance and they were looking for mentors. And I started, yeah. I've always been a mentor. I thought, how am I going to build community in Austin? I didn't have to build it. It just showed up on my doorstep. Hey, Robin, you want to be a mentor? Yeah, great. And there's just like this whole sequence of events of so many amazing opportunities that have come to me because I just was a little brave to make that choice. And make it my plan A, and and there was no plan B. It just was became plan A, and everything fell into place. Man, so you mentioned mentors a few times, and we're going to get back to Austin because I want to hear some some differences and some things that you really like. But mentorship, 
uh, is important. So just explain how, how that's affected your journey and how these people have helped you along. You can make some shout outs here too. Yeah, there's so many. I really have been doing a look back at my career to think about who I can shout out to. And I don't know that there always been the best learning experiences. <laughs> um, but I guess one thing that's really important for younger people to understand is that there are mentors and there are sponsors. And a mentor is somebody who's going to help guide you. A sponsor is really going to put themselves out on the line for you. If they're going to speak on your behalf. They're just going to push a little bit harder. And I think you need to have both as a young person today. And it's really important that when you get a job, you have a sponsor, right? It's somebody you naturally click with. Somebody who's going to have your back, request you for the promotion. As people would say, it's the person that talks good about you when you're not in the room. That's a sponsor. Mm. When I talk about mentorship, I just want to help guide people to make the right decisions, right? For themselves. We want to help them build that plan A, right? We want to be cheering them on from the sidelines to accomplish their plan A, but they take the lead in building plan A and come to you, bounce their ideas off of you. So th mm -hmm. that's the difference for me. And that difference is going to matter in corporate America as, you know, these younger kids are building their careers, right? For me, what I learned very late in life of how did I get into all of this? Why do I even do this? I took a test, like a personality mm -hmm. test, and it just answered all these questions about who I was. I was like, oh my God, that is me. That is me. That is me. Like, how, how, how did I grow up being such a girl misunderstood? You're too loud. You're too this. You're too ambitious. You're these things. And then I take this test in the computer and it spits out, oh my God, this is Robin. Like, wow, this is just who I am. And not that I'm saying it's okay or it's not okay. It was just like this whole thing of like, wow, I'm mm -hmm. just going to go look at these test results, right? Again. Yeah. And this test is called Colb Colby. And it's a test that you can take to understand not your personality right? We all can see my personality. It's really focused on how do you do your best work and when do you do your best work? Mm. And I had always, just because I had come up the ranks and I didn't have that degree, I had always had these really transactional jobs. And, and then I got into this strategic work, right? People process technology. It just all, I could put it together so easily. People would be like, well, Robin, you're really smart. But what I learned in that Colby test was that it was like, you're a visionary. Yeah, you could do the mm. details, but that's not where you shine. You shine at building strategies. And I was like, oh Big my picture. God. it all makes sense now, right? And so, so I learned a lot in that process of doing Colby, learning my personality and who I am. And I think I went real far left from the question, but... <laughs> But again, I just think it's like you just learn, have to be in tune with yourself. You know, you have to be shamelessly say yes to opportunities that feel right. And you have mm -hmm. to shamelessly say no to things that don't feel right. So you shamelessly say yes to Austin. What are some things that you miss about home, L.A.? Tacos that are not on flour tortillas. <laughs> oh. I know you're I from Houston. I know y'all love a good breakfast taco here. However. Oh, time out. Time out. I'm from Detroit. I got to make that correction. Detroit. My people okay. not let me live it down. Uh, I've, been in, I've been in Houston for a while. Houston's great. Uh, Definitely from Detroit though. And I and I like I like a great breakfast taco. <laughs> that's the Texas, that's the Texas talking. Um, I miss tacos. I have to be honest, I do miss the just the easy diversity, the not forced, the all just, oh, you know, here I do realize we have a lot of conversations about who we are and where we come from. And um, while those are great 
conversation. Sometimes it's just cool to show up at a party and be like, hey, Tony, what's up? You know? What's that? And that's it. Just, hey, Tony. You know? We, we don't have to talk about, you know, um, things that are so race-driven, I feel like. That naturally, again, yeah. in LA, you just kind of have that flow. Like, we don't really care who shows up, what they look like. We're just here to, for the party. And that happens here too. It just doesn't happen in the same way. You got to be a lot more intentional about um, bringing people together here. It's different. It's different. I tell people, I was talking to some friends of mine. They're they're from Oklahoma, and I'm like, it's different in the South. Like it's it's not it's not the same. Like trust me, it's I can't really even explain it to you. But it's, it's definitely different. Um, What are some things in Austin that you've experienced? Oh, wait, you miss what? I miss the ocean. But oh, I love yeah. Having, but I love having like Lake Austin's like 15 minutes away, which is great because we didn't have a close lake. But I also, too, talking about my new plan A, I just told my, my neighbor, like, we need to get in on Mexico. It's a two-hour flight away. And I've not seized that opportunity of being so close mm. to like Cancun and all of that. So that's 2023 goals for me. I have a funny story about Austin. Well, it's not really funny, but <laughs> I laugh at it now. Okay. Uh, so I had this girlfriend and uh, at University of Houston, it was the summertime. Everybody's getting out, going back home. So she lived in Austin and I went down there. And I stayed, st- number one, I stayed at their ho- at their home, which I don't know, but some black parents that I know would never let that happen, even though we were grown. It's just like, no. Anyway, uh, we went to the river. We floated the river and I almost drowned because <laughs> I can't swim. So I was like on this line, right? And it's from one end where there's like a, I don't know, like a, a cliff. I guess, and it's tied like to this big tree. So I get up there. I don't know what I was thinking. Like maybe the water's not that deep. And I get up there and I'm climbing across, climbing across, and eventually you get tired. You're never, you're not gonna make it to the tree. Like that's not really the goal. It's just to keep climbing until you know you can't go anymore. So I drop down. Boom! I hit the water, and I'm going down, and my feet don't touch the ground until the water is over my head. So I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, time to roll. Because nobody came and got me. Nobody even knew that I was like fighting for my life down here. So I wasn't too far under though. Like it was maybe, I don't know, six inches above my head, maybe less. So I'm like kicking off the ground and I, I get up and I get a little bit of air and I do this all the way till I get to the, to the shore. And I meet back up with the people I was with. I'm like, y'all didn't see me drowning over here? And they're like, no, we saw you on the line. You you went down and, you know, just waiting for you to come back. So that's my almost drowning story. I was a little upset, but I got over. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, did you Robin. tell anybody that you didn't know how to swim? I'm pretty sure I did not. There you go. Pretty sure I didn't. Is this where we get with the the back to the challenge of your ego is not your amigo, right? Like man versus I, ego. I, just, <laughs> I didn't think the water was that deep. I saw other people, you know, those people were swimming. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, well, man. I will tell you that when you come back, we'll give you a life jacket. But floating in Austin is just so much fun. It was a fun day. I won't lie. It was definitely a fun day. I was out of my element. I'm. Like I said, I'm from Detroit. We do not have like, we don't float the river, you know. We go to the beach, but that's pretty much it, you know. So, all right. I think um, we've made it to the point where we do the three what's. So you can answer these as long or as short as you would like. I know we already kind of dipped into a little bit of this. You probably have answered all three of these maybe tenfold, but we're going to do them anyway. So first one, what's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular? Oh, yeah. I think I said it five times in this conversation. (laughs) 
unpopular, unpopular. I have so many unpopular opinions. I'm not mm. an instigator. I just believe in you got to do what's right. So, okay. Um, you heard my unpopular opinions. I mean, I think HR needs major change. Um, I think an unpopular opinion is DEI is happening effectively in companies and schools. No, it's not. Unpopular opinion. Get it together. <laughs> and, you know, I, I will fight relentlessly for that. Okay. Well done. Very concise. Okay. What number two? If you weren't running your company, her HR help desk, what would you be doing? What would the plan A be? Well, my plan A right now is her HR help desk. And so, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday, that plan A might have to change and I may have to go back and get another job or get a job. But if it does, I will be 150% committed to finding a company that's as committed to the work as I am. I will not go back to another soul-sucking corporate job. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's not what you want. That's not what we want for you here, Robin, on the Living Numbers podcast. <laughs> That's right. All right. Last what, and I know this is going to be good. What advice would you give to someone in high school? Yeah, I think I'm going to go back to be shameless about saying yes and be shameless about saying no. I think it's so important in today's world that one thing I have has helped me so much in my career is being a honest and direct communicator. Um, you got to deliver it with some finesse. Don't get me wrong, right? And that yeah, takes time yeah. and experience to learn. But having that voice is just going to be so important for you getting to where you want to be so much quicker. And I think that's really how I got to where I was. Maybe it wasn't right to do it kicking and screaming, but that was the world we were in. And that's how I got myself to that next level. Um, so now with the opportunity of being able to use your voice, to express yourself, to align with companies that are aligned with what you want, there's no need to talk in hypotheticals. There's no need to be passive aggressive. Shamelessly say yes and shamelessly say no. Well said, Robin. This is the part where you tell people where they can find you. You mentioned your Instagram earlier, which is where I found that you like dogs and like ice cream. I'm a huge ice cream lover. There's tons of ice cream all over my IG, by the way. So where can people <laughs> find you? Yeah, what's so funny is that was like a, I don't know that I love ice cream. I went to the Museum of Ice Cream in Austin and really mm -hmm. liked it, played on all these, you know, things that were ice cream related. And that's just was such a fun day for me. I try to stay reconnected. For me, it's not eating ice cream. It's staying connected to ice cream, having fun and having that joy of, you know, jumping in the bath of sprinkles. <laughs> Yes. Um, but I do love if we're asking mitten chip and Rocky Road ice cream in case anybody wants to virtually send me, you know, a nice some ice cream on an ice cream cone. Um okay. but you can also, if you want to learn about HR, you want to learn more about me, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I am run my own LinkedIn. Um, I'm active there. And if you want to have a conversation about mentorship or you want to go into HR or have any burning questions about Austin, reach out and I will respond to you. And I will definitely get on a call with you and talk about anything that your heart desires, including ice cream. <laughs> Thank you so much, Robin, for coming on. I mean, this is, this was fun. Like we could have just talked about whatever, like we could have done this for another two hours. That's but right. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. I'm so glad we 
connected and I'm looking forward to supporting you, your girls, your basketball team and all that you're doing. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening. Uh, signing off for Robin. Make sure y'all go follow her on LinkedIn. Make sure y'all keep a lookout. If you're in Austin, make sure you connect with her. Make sure you all follow me as well. IG, TikTok, The Living Numbers Podcast. Check out the link in the description for the merch. And uh, subscribe for the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, Thank you all. This is your host, Tony Rambles. And I will see you all in the next ramble. Excellent.